continuing on our series, uh, Your New Normal, which is all about the book of Daniel. And it's an incredibly relevant, pertinent book for us to be talking about in this time, because we're talking about someone whose life was overtaken by circumstances that he could not control. We are living right now in circumstances so far beyond our control. We've had news over the last couple of um, days about the lockdown that's coming. And some of you are thinking, I just don't know if I can handle it. I just don't know if I can take it. Some of you, you feel like your faith is almost hanging on just by a thread. Others of you, it's almost like this lockdown, this experience where everything is being shaken is actually pushing you forward and closer towards faith. It's a new normal. New normal is never a good thing. It's always a challenge. It's always hard. But there is a way in which you can thrive. And as we've been looking at the book of Daniel, we've seen someone who's been able to have their faith grow and impact their surroundings rather than being defined by their circumstances. In the first uh, session, we looked at this key two words where it says, but Daniel. Everyone say, but Daniel. But Daniel, despite the circumstances, despite what he was facing, despite all the challenges against all the odds, but Daniel, it means that as believers we can be defined not by what's happening to us, what we're going through, but by the choices that we make about our faith. Now last week Alexia took us through the story of Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego and how they were challenged again in their faith, wanting to be defined by outside circumstances, wanting to be told you're not who God says you are, you're who the culture says that you are. And yet these had that same mindset, that same vision, but Christians, but believers. And they find themselves thrown in a fire because of their refusal to bow down to any other God other than God. And we found with Alexia that they were able to thrive in the fire. So we can thrive in the fire. For some of us right now, this is fire. For some of us right now, this is uncomfortable. It's hot. And yet in the fire, God doesn't always save us from the fire. Sometimes he will meet us in the fire and give us a revelation of who he is and how good he is in the fire. And so those kinds of talks that we've had so far about resolving, making your own choices, not being defined by circumstances, but having a faith that stands in stark contrast to what is being imposed on you from the outside, and also seeing that through being faithful to your commitment to Christ, even if it costs you, and actually finding intimacy and thriving within the fire. So for many of us, that's been fine, and you've been with us on that. But tonight, this is where I lose you. Some of you right now, I'm going to lose you with what we say. Because some people, they like Christianity as long as it's almost a kind of self-help manual with just a little bit of Jesus topping. But tonight, I'm going to throw you tonight. Some of you are going to find this difficult, upsetting, challenging. Perhaps you won't agree with it. Perhaps you'll be upset by it, offended by it. Uh, it's going to be tough, but we're going to get through this together. We're going to get through this together, okay? We're going to be okay. But we are going to talk about the supernatural. We are going to talk about spiritual warfare. We're going to talk about spiritual realities that the Bible talks, that it's not just about how to live really well and how to have great techniques for um, navigating life. It's actually about locating our lives in the context of a spiritual struggle, a supernatural struggle that is all around us. And so many people have so many misconceptions pre 
um, suppositions and prejudices about this that it can be hard. But we're going to look and see what the Bible says and see how we get on. Because there's a tremendous surprise in the book of Daniel. It's almost like a twist, a sting in the tale. Because what we get with Daniel is we get this kind of story of a young 17-year-old and his friends who are brought into um, this empire and kingdom that tries to challenge them. So just to give you a little bit of the backstory, if we get the map up, here we see a map of the ancient Near East. And you see there in the bottom left-hand corner, that little red square, that little tiny red tract of land. That's Judah. That is Daniel's land. Babylon is hundreds of miles away. But what happens next is the Babylonian Empire comes and it takes over this massive swathe of territory. So you see Babylon carrying over. Let's get the next map. Babylon, I feel like a weather um, presenter here. There's a Babylonian empire sweeping in from the east. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar 605, he carries Daniel off. So Daniel has been part of this tiny little uh, tract of land, this little kingdom of Judah. Now is, he has to negotiate and live out his faith in this huge empire. But then it carries on. So the next thing that we see is this Medo-Persian empire. And so that empire is vast. It makes the Babylonian empire look tiny in comparison. And in 537 BC, Cyrus the Great, he conquers the whole of Babylon and takes over that empire. It becomes the single greatest, biggest empire that the world has ever seen. And you would think that the Bible would tell a story about plucky Daniel, the believer in the one true God, being taken in by this evil kingdom of Babylon and fighting against it and leading insurgency and coming against it and struggling against it. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible has Daniel as cooperating, helping, making that place better, being a civil servant, actually coming alongside and bringing um, goodness into that kingdom. And you'd think that when Cyrus comes, that's now 70 years later. So Daniel is now in his early 80s. Um, Probably the friends have long since perished. When we hear the story about Daniel in the lion's den, that's where we're talking. We're talking about 80-year-old Daniel, not 17-year-old Daniel. And you'd think that the Bible would say he struggled against the Persian kingdom with this incredibly brutish reign of Cyrus the Great. But it doesn't say that. It actually says that he strikes up a friendship with Cyrus and that again he's involved. He's working out his faith. And then at the end of the book, we get this sting in the tale. We get this total shock because you see the kingdom that he is struggling against. You see the kingdom that he does fight against. And instead of fighting against the pagan empires and fighting against the pagan kings, he works with them. He actually engages his faith in order to bring them close to God because God loves those kingdoms. And yet we now see the real enemy, and it comes in chapter 10. And we see that the real enemy is not a physical enemy. It's not a physical kingdom. It's actually a spiritual kingdom, spiritual rulers that he contends against. Now, just to give a little bit of context, I'm going to quickly flip forward into the New Testament. And uh, we're going to look at what Paul, the Apostle Paul, said when he was writing to a church in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. He says this. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. 
Not against people and kingdoms, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And what we get in the book of Daniel chapter 10 is we get after all these intrigues that have happened in the Babylonian court and then in the Persian court, we now see Daniel as this old man who's been faithful to God, who has resolved to keep his spirituality, even though it is challenging and even though it gets harder and harder and harder and the goalposts keep shifting and the circumstances keep changing. He has been faithful to God. But now we see him engage in spiritual warfare. And it's like the curtain is just withdrawn. The curtain's pulled back. And we now see where the real struggle is. And this is where we find our real struggle. So as with all these things, the New Testament gives us the principles. And the Old Testament, very often, it gives us the pictures. So the New Testament states, the Old Testament illustrates. And what Paul has stated, he says that our struggle, it's not against a geopolitical kingdom. It's against a spiritual kingdom. Now Daniel illustrates this thing. The curtain gets pulled back. A little bit like when you go on a flight and every now and again, the door will open or the curtain will be pulled back and you can see the cockpit. You can see the pilot, the co-pilot. You see all the controls. You see the radio transmissions coming in and then they close the door and uh, that glimpse goes away again. Now it's like Daniel gets a glimpse into the spiritual realities. And this is where it can be difficult for us. This is where it can throw us off. But it's something that happens where Daniel is just, he's devastated. He's, the Bible says that he is mourning. Actually, the difference between the Babylonian Empire and the Persian Empire is this. The Babylonians were a bit like the Borg. So if you're into, anyone here into Star Trek? Grunt. No one. Okay, let's move on. Um, there's this thing on a program about space and uh, they have this thing called the Borg, who are basically like this robot race who go around and they assimilate, they assimilate. Resistance is futile, prepare to be assimilated. That's the Borg, that's the Babylonians. They'll take you, change your name, make you like a Babylonian, give you the Babylonian gods, assimilate you, put you into their culture. But the Persian Empire was like, meh, live and let live. It's all cool. Chill, man. And so Cyrus is like, you can go back. You can go back to your nation. And a whole bunch of Israelites, they go back to Israel. But it's only like a few. It's like a handful. When instead of this great big exodus back into the promised land, it's like the people of Israel that just been in captivity so long. They're like, well, we kind of like it here. And so Daniel is devastated, he's upset, and he starts praying and he cries out, God, let me understand what's going on. Let me understand the sweep of history. And so he denies himself, he goes and, and does a kind of partial fast and gives himself to prayer. And this is what he writes in chapter 10. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. So it's fasting, but it's like, I'm not going to have any great palace food and wine. So it's, it's not that bad. I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. Some of you, you don't even have to fast to not wash for three weeks. 
On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen, with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they hid, they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. When I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground, basically face plant. A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I've come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. This is incredible. The curtain is drawn back, and Daniel has a vision on the banks of the river Tigris. And he sees this man, and it is so terrifying. The guy is so awesome. It's undescribable. He's, he's trying to find words. It's like topaz, like a gemstone, and, and, and lightning coming from his face, and his eyes are on fire. And it's just so terrifying that he literally blacks out. He falls to the ground. All the strength comes out of his body. And what we're seeing here is a vision of an angel. Now, very often in popular culture, when people think about angels, they just dismiss it as some kind of fairy tale. You think about an angel as like these little chubby babies with little curly blonde hair and tiny little wings. And they're kind of lame and weak and a little bit sentimental and maybe they've got a harp or a little bow and arrow. Actually, we're talking here about Daniel seeing an angel, and it is absolutely terrifying. And he is just utterly beside himself. He can hardly breathe. He can't stand. He falls face, face down onto the ground. And this being picks him up. And we learn in a later chapter that this angel is the angel Gabriel. And what he's getting is he's getting an insight into the spiritual world. And the crazy thing is that Gabriel speaks to him and he says, you've been praying. You've been praying for 21 days. You've been humbling yourself. You've been denying yourself. You have resolutely given yourself to seeking God, to crying out, to finding out. You could have stayed comfortable and safe, and yet you've taken it upon yourself to get involved in the affairs of God here on earth. And this is what's happening behind the scenes. Sometimes we pray, and people think, well, I don't know if prayer makes any difference. I don't know if it does anything. I don't know if if what I do actually leads to any changes or results in the world. And sometimes people will tell you, oh, prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes you. Prayer makes you more 
uh, open to God's eventual will, which is what he wants to do anyway. Prayer is just our way of kind of getting ourselves in a mood to, to, to just get on board with what's going to happen anyway. And yet the angel says, no, no, don't let anybody tell you that. This is what's happening. When you're praying, stuff is happening. And he talks about this incredible conflict in the heavenly realms. He talks about this prince of the Persian kingdom. Everyone say prince of the Persian kingdom. Say it in the pop-ups, prince of the Persian kingdom. Thank you. This prince of the Persian kingdom, and then he later refers, and he says, the king of Persia. Now, are you talking about Cyrus the Great? He says, no. I'm talking about a ruler. And so what we're getting here is what Paul talked about when he spoke to the Ephesians. He says, we are not struggling with people, but we're struggling with spiritual forces of evil. He talks about rulers and powers and authorities. And you say, wait, hang on a minute. There are rulers and they're evil forces. I kind of thought that demons were like these little mischievous imps that come and try and make trouble. Actually, no. The way that the Bible portrays evil forces, spiritual forces of evil, is not little impish creatures with pitchforks and trying to tempt you to eat more calories than you should. No, we're talking about awesome, powerful beings that have rulership. That have authority. So Paul says, I am struggling against principalities and powers. I'm struggling against rulers and authorities. We're struggling against beings spiritual in nature who actually have authority. In other words, they have a say-so in what happens in this world. It's not like they're just trying to make a little bit of mischief. It's like they already have the power to wreak havoc in our world. Now, there's two mistakes that you can make when you talk about spiritual things like this. Mistake number one is you just, you just say, well, it's, it's not really real. It's, it's, it's a metaphor. It's, it's just a way of understanding the world for a primitive mind. And you totally dismiss it. Or you say it is overwhelming. You get a ghastly fascination with it. And yet the real way that we go is to be aware of what the Bible says about spiritual forces. So the Bible talks about a spiritual dimension that we don't see. But every now and again, the curtain gets withdrawn and we see into the spiritual realms. There's another famous example in the book of Two Kings, which is the kind of the history books of the ancient Israel people. And uh, one prophet of God, a man called Elisha, he has his servant, and uh, they're in a kind of territorial war with a neighboring kingdom, the kingdom of Aram. And they are holed up in this city, this kind of fortress in a place called Dothan. And the masked um, armies of the Arameans have encircled them all around. And this servant is terrified. And this is what Elisha says. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. 
Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I remember hearing that Bible story. And always in my brain, in my mind, I always imagined that the chariots were kind of in the heavens. Because they're spiritual chariots. So you'd expect them to be up there in the sky. But it does not say that in the passage. It says that these horses and chariots were all around Elijah. That they were all around the armies that were encamping against them. And it's like God says, right, I will allow you to see beyond the curtain. I'll just... Open the curtain a little bit so you can see into the cockpit, so you can see into a realm that you don't normally see. But it's not up there, it's all around us. It's like the spiritual world is just as real. In fact, more real than the world that we experience. It's just outside of our visible spectrum of eyesight. It's like there's a dimension that we can't access day to day, but there is a spiritual reality. And the Bible is not coy about this. But it says there are spiritual forces. And you can actually peel back the curtains. You can see. And so what Gabriel says is he says, listen, I've been engaged in a spiritual conflict for the last three weeks. All the time that you've been praying, I've been fighting. I've been fighting against the prince of the kingdom of Persia or the king of Persia. And then finally I got reinforcements. Michael came. He's one of the great princes and he helped me. Now I'm going to explain exactly why that happened. Actually, I can't. There's no way that I can explain that. It's almost as if you get a little bit of information, but then not too much. This kind of thing, and this is why I say, for some of you, I lose you here. Because there are so many questions. What's going on? What's happening in this scenario? And yet the Bible talks about this spiritual reality and says, look, don't go too much into it, but don't ignore it altogether. You don't need to know everything. You just need to know that it is there. In my life, I've had experiences, experiences of the supernatural. I remember one time, uh, and just an incredible time when I was working with this one particular church in the Midlands. And uh, we had this incredible kind of, almost like a mini revival of people coming to faith. But before that, there was such intense spiritual fight and oppression and difficulty I actually had a vision one day. I don't, I don't think I've ever talked about this publicly before. But I saw a demonic presence. I won't tell you what it looked like. But I will tell you that I saw pure hate and pure anger. And what it enabled me to do was to pray and to gather others around and pray. And we saw this incredible turnaround. Sometimes it manifests in different ways. I was um, doing some work with a church in South Africa a few years ago. And we went on this one camp kind of into the, the kind of the outback, the, the jungle, the bush. And uh, there's one particular guy. And after a couple of days, he comes up to me and he says, um, Philip, whenever you speak, I fall asleep. Now, thank you for your honesty. And uh, there are some of you out there that say, I really identify with that guy. And I said, well, well thanks. That's, that's kind of encouraging. Not really very much. But he uh, says, yeah, whenever you come up to preach, straight away I fall asleep. And he says, but the funny thing is, whenever I am near you, when you're not speaking, I want to fall asleep. And right now, I'm finding it hard to keep my eyes open. Because when you look at me, there's something inside me that just wants to put me to sleep. And it was like a little manifestation of something spiritual, a spiritual force of evil that had influence in his life. We were able to pray for that guy and see things changed. And from that moment on, his life was never the same. I could tell you other examples, but 
you know what? I think that's probably enough. Because what Daniel experiences through the testimony and the message of Gabriel is that there are forces and there are spiritual forces and they have rulership. Our world is under control of dark spiritual forces. Sometimes you think, why is the world in such a difficult place? Why is it so difficult to eradicate racism? When we have all these global protests, black lives matter, how come we're still seeing people being gunned down? Why is it so hard? How come after all these years and decades of trying to get equality for women and dignity for every person, why is it still so hard? What the Bible says, there are spiritual forces that hate God and so want to do everything they can to hurt his children. Now, I'm not saying that racism and sexism and fascism and materialism and all those things, I'm not saying that, oh, it's just because the devil made me do it. I am saying that we need deep structural change. I am saying that we need to protest and we need to advocate and we need to educate and we need to change. But I'm also saying that it's not just a human problem. We have this humanistic mindset that says humans are basically good. And I believe that's true. And so we can challenge and overcome every problem. Just give us time. The world will get better, 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 better. There'll be less of a gap between the rich and the poor. But it doesn't work out that way. Because there are spiritual forces of wickedness. There are authorities. There are princes and powers. And that's why. If you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not just a matter of having a nice personal faith and religion. We actually have to pray. We have to engage with spiritual forces. There are spiritual forces in our city of Bristol that want to take people's lives. Spiritual forces that suck into the soul of vulnerable people at their low points. And say, take your life. We can't see change in our city just by education and good policies. We need those. We need all the tools in the box. But there's something profound that the people of God get to do. That we challenge the forces of wickedness in the evil places. We say, we come against you because we have authority too. We have authority in the name of Jesus. And Gabriel says to Daniel, don't be afraid. This stuff is happening, but you know what? It's kind of above your pay grade. Just leave it to the commander-in-chief in military HQ. You don't need to know all this stuff, but you just need to know that you play a part in it. And so that's a little look at the spiritual forces that we face. But the main focus of this whole thing is on Daniel. And Gabriel, he Gives a little bit of backstory. This is, hey, sorry I'm late, 21 days, should have got here earlier. But this is what I want you to hear. And the first thing that he says is this. Let's go back to that verse. He says, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed. Everyone say highly esteemed. He says, Daniel, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you. And stand up, for I have now been sent to you. In other words, it's about who you are. Gabriel says to Daniel, oh, you're Daniel. 
I've been so looking forward to meeting you. You are highly esteemed. That word esteemed, it literally means valuable, like a jewel. You're priceless. You have been someone that has been valued incredibly highly. The King James Version, it translates it as you're dearly loved. And here's the thing. Gabriel is saying it's actually because of who you are. Because all those years that you were faithful and you were sticking to your faith in God and you didn't abandon the God who loves you and brought you. He says all that stuff, everything that you've done wasn't done in a corner. You weren't doing it on your own. Heaven sees it, heaven applauds it, and heaven values you. You're rated in heaven. You need to know whether you've been a Christian for a short time or a long time. Baseline, you're highly loved. You're incredibly valued because Jesus has paid the most valuable price for you. And any angel, no matter how powerful they are, and any demon, no matter how evil they are, has to bow in fear and tremble at the grace of God and the precious price he puts upon you that you're limitless value. You're highly esteemed. Because we are God's chosen people, we are able to exercise authority in his name. And then he goes on and he says this, since the first day, everyone say since the first day. Since the first day day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I've come in response to them. In other words, it's what you do. Who you are and what you do makes a difference in eternity. Who you are and what you do makes a difference in the spiritual realms. Daniel hears that he's been praying for 21 days. Maybe for 21 days he prayed and it was like God didn't give him anything. But he continued to pray, continued to pray, continued to pray, continued to pray. He could have given up and said, well, I prayed and nothing happened. It didn't work. I give up. Nothing. It's just ridiculous. But he didn't. Without seeing anything, without any encouragement, without any word to spur him on from God, he continued to pray, continued to pray. And he humbled himself. It wasn't just a hypocritical prayer. It was a prayer that came out of a life totally given over to God. And Gabriel says, Since the first day, I was dispatched. Your words were heard. You know, sometimes we pray and there's spiritual warfare. Sometimes we pray and the message is held up. And it's almost like all of heaven is cheering us on. They're saying, keep going, keep going. You're doing good. Keep praying. Your prayers make a difference. They change things. Look, you're turning the gears of history. Look, you're marshalling the forces of heaven. Look, you're bringing in reinforcements. Daniel has no idea that what he's doing is literally calling angels into the Persian fight and struggle. But what you do matters. That's why the single most important thing that we can do as believers in Jesus is what? Pray. When we pray, demons tremble. Because God says, I have given you authority to trample snakes and serpents. These usurping powers, these rulers and authorities, these spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places, they must Give way. 
That's why when we said, look, we're going into lockdown, we said, we're going to continue to do what we do because there's something powerful and spiritual in God's people meeting together. And we can meet together just as well on YouTube and Facebook as we can in person. God's not limited by geography. God works fine on the World Wide Web. But we continue to do what we do. We continue to live out our faith because we know that when we pray, it makes a difference. That's why Jesus says, pray and don't give up. And you say, well, Philip, does that mean that when I pray and it's not answered, then it's just some kind of struggle in heaven? Uh, what does it mean? I'm saying, listen, we don't get to know that stuff. Every now and again, the curtain gets open, but most of the time it stays closed because God says, listen, I don't want you to work yourself up on that stuff or freak out about that stuff. I just want you to know that you are my child and I love you and you speak to me, you pray to me, you live your life, live in humble childlike obedience and faith. That's why every Thursday morning at 7.30 on Zoom, we're going to meet together to pray because we believe that when we pray, this city gets changed. When we pray, this nation gets changed. When we pray, the world gets changed. And we can pray not just, God bless me, God help me, those prayers are good, but we can pray, God, bring down racial inequality in our time. God, change the face of homelessness in our time. And we will pray and we will serve and we will act and we will sacrifice and we will give and we will mobilize and we will write and we will do whatever we can. But prayer is the thing without which nothing will fundamentally ever change because nothing ever fundamentally does unless we pray. And so that's what we do. We pray. So here's the big idea. There are supernatural forces of evil that have control and power over our world, but God can use who we are and what we do to bring them down. Godly living and prayer changes things. So we're going to pray right now. We're going to ask that God would do something very powerful in our city. So I invite you, whether you've got faith or not, whether you're somewhere in between, to join me as we pray for the peace of our city. Dear God, God of the heavenly hosts, God who gave your people authority, we pray and we ask that you, Lord God, would intervene in the affairs of human beings. Lord, we thank you that you are powerful. We want to pray, Lord God, that you'd find within us a people that are faithful to you, who don't shrink back, who don't compromise, who don't do things half-hearted. Father, I want to pray for anybody that's freaked out or confused or whatever by this message. I want to pray, Lord God, that you take out the stuff that's not helpful, let us forget it, and that only what remains from you would impact us. But Father, we do pray for this, our nation, and we pray for our world in a time of coronavirus. Lord, in this global emergency, we cry to you that you would be gracious to us. We want to pray that the powers of wickedness and darkness in Bristol would be brought down to the ground. We want to pray, Lord God, that the kingdom of God would increase, 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 increase. As we, your people, fall into line with your purposes and give ourselves over to your will. 
and demonstrate your brand new kingdom, a kingdom of grace, love, mercy, and power. So Lord, help us now, I pray. And I want to pray in, right now in the name of Jesus for anybody that is just under the thumb of the evil one. I say release in Jesus' name. And I pray for everybody who is feeling really vulnerable with your mental health. I pray that you would be released from chains that bind you in Jesus' name. I pray that we would see people freed from the oppression of the evil one in all of its forms. And that the goodness of God would be manifest in our lives and in our community and through us to others. In the name of Jesus. Amen.